On a bright sunny morning in downtown New York People are rushing to get to their work Unaware as the events of the day unfold Gonna haunt them for the rest of their lives For high overhead there's a mighty explosion A fireball on the 90th floor For like a cruise guided missile Flight 11 has flown Straight into the World Trade Center Tower Everybody stands there to smile Out from nowhere arrives Flight 175 And it looks like it's gonna travel on his way Then he banks and turns and does a kamikaze dive to the heart of the twin sister tower. Now that look of disbelief has turned to horror and grief. Some are on their knees praying for the dead. Both towers ablaze, the world watches on TV. It's all there for the whole world to see. Like a gambler who throws in a bad hand at cards The Twin Towers, they give in to their fate They fall one by one, floor by floor Sounds like Stampede and Buffalo All over Manhattan, the dust cloud settles That blocks out the sky and the sun From Brooklyn to Peking, the world holds its breath the day the World Trade Center fell Yeah, on the day the World Trade Center fell Who could believe what has happened today In this land of the brave and the free Who could have torn out the heart of our city a proud symbol of sweet liberty Now the government says It knows who to blame And it won't stop till it cuts them down But that won't bring back 3,000 people who died On the day the World Trade Center fell Oh, on the day the World Trade Center fell
it was on a morning <clears throat> similar to this uh, beautiful blue sky and uh, the complete antithesis of what would eventually happen that day but uh, 20 years ago today uh, our world was changed forever and uh, you know usually with this show the good uh, we do powerful and uplifting stories we do positive stories um, I wanted to do something uh, a little different because this is a day that uh, we we should honor uh, the fallen uh, I want to start off by reading some names John L. Albert Janet M. Alonzo Calixto Anaya Jr. Michael J. Armstrong Jafet Ari Thomas J. Ashton Richard E. Bosco Alex Chiang John Coughlin Wells R. Crowther, the man with the red bandana. Richard Cudina, John de Alara, Thomas F. Dowd, Bernard D. Fazuva, Sean B. Fagan, Kristen N. Fiedel, Carl M. Flickinger, Thomas J. Foley, Andrew A. Federicks, Steve Furman, Frederick N. Gabler, Peter J. Gancy Jr., Dennis P. Germain, John F. Ginley, David M. Grafman, Wanda A. Green, Robert J. Gishar, Dana R. Hannon, Frederick J. Ill Jr., Ud V. Jane, Farah Judy, Vincent Kane, Vanessa Langer, Eric Leifeld, Laura M. Longing, Mark G. Ludwigsen, William Lum Jr., Myrna T. Maldonado, Joseph D. Mayo, Joseph Marchbanks, John D. Marshall, Patricia A. McEnany, Robert G. McCarthy, Thomas McGinnis, Stacy Senes McGowan, Dennis P. McHugh, Michael E. McHugh Jr., Donald J. McIntyre, Robert W. McPadden, John Monahan, Luke Nee, Gerald T. Nevins, 
Brian C. Novotny, Dennis J. Dennis J. O'Connor Jr., Gerald T. O'Leary, David Ortiz, Vincent A. Princiata, Kevin Riley, Vernon A. Richard, Joseph Roberto, Michael E. Roberts, James Romito, John J. Ryan, Fred C. Sheffield Jr., Thomas G. Scholes, Christopher J. Scudder, Mohammed Shahajan, Greg Sikorsky, Arthur Simon, Kenneth Simon, Catherine T. Smith, Robert W. Spear Jr., Craig W. Staub, Loretta Ann Vero, Benjamin J. Walker, Weebin Wong, Stephen J. Weinberg, Michael T. Holy, James J. Woods, David T. Woolley, Robert W. Kirkpatrick. These are the names of Rocklanders that lost their lives on 9-11. In total, it was nearly 3,000 people that died that day. And many more that are scarred because of an act of cowardice. But, uh... I want to take this show and uh, remember uh, remember those who are lost, and I, I want to take the time to tell you some stories about some of those who survived uh, the 9-11 attacks. Uh, this is Kevin Thomas, and you're listening to The Good with Kevin Thomas, and uh, I want to thank you all for listening in. And uh, I know, you know, you can turn on the TV, you could go on social media, you can listen to the radio, you can, wherever, wherever you get your entertainment from, there's going to be some mention of the events that happened. And, and, I mean, it touched all of our lives. The images that we saw that day, um, it's it, it, you can't get that out of your head. And for those who were directly affected, I mean, it's it's a deep wound. As far as uh, my experience with it. The week prior, I was uh, working a temp job, I believe, through uh, a temp agency, maybe, maybe Kelly Services or something like that. But I was working a temp job at One Liberty Plaza, uh, right across the street, really, from uh, from uh, the towers. And uh, every morning, I would take the train down 
to World Trade Center and I would uh, I'd, I'd walk underneath there was a little tunnel that went from the station into uh, One Liberty Plaza and you can just come up and, and into the building and so be it uh, it was that Thursday I was told by my agency that uh, my internship would end the next day on that Friday and uh, you know I, I, I thought well yeah, okay well I gave it my best shot I was hoping to maybe become permanent but uh, didn't quite work out that way but uh, I got the job done and the company was happy with the work that I did uh, I guess I went through the work a lot quicker than uh, they expected and uh the next day, that Friday, for some reason, and, and I don't, I still to this day don't know why, but on that day, I went up to street level and I was walking in front of the World Trade Center towers. And at some point, it must have been around quarter to nine or something because that's usually around the time when I would get down there uh, about, about quarter to nine I, I, I get to street level uh, and and I'm walking on my way over there I, it must, I must have been close to the courtyard or whatever but uh, I for some reason and, I, and again I don't know why that day was really nice. I remember that. And I, I remember looking up at the towers because I, it wasn't something that I usually did. But I remember just looking up at the towers and thinking, man, those things are so tall. I, I couldn't even imagine looking down from all the way up there and, and just took a moment and just stood there and just stared up. And then I went about my business and went into work and uh, finished up the temp job and uh did my last day there and and uh went home and uh at the time I, I was I think I was living with my mom and I think I I was sleeping on her couch and uh the next few days just kind of went by and uh I was wondering when the temp agency was going to call me again with another assignment and uh, I remember that Monday night, night the 10th, couldn't really sleep. Wasn't sure why, but I couldn't really sleep and uh, ended up staying up late. And uh, the next morning, that Tuesday morning, I was awakened by my mom and I thought, well, that's kind of strange. Usually she's on her way to work by now because I, I, I went and checked the time and, and I was thinking, huh. And uh, she said one of my sisters, Peggy, was on the phone. And uh, so I I grabbed the phone and I, I say hello. And, and she says, turn on the TV. And uh, I turn on the TV and uh, she she tells me a plane went into the World Trade Center towers and uh, by that by that time uh, 
both planes had gone in already. Uh, so I, 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 I wake and, and I remember one of the first things that I did was I went to the window because we were in Brooklyn and I, I went to the window and I was trying to look over that direction to see if there was any smoke or anything on the horizon and, uh, and, uh, I could see it a little bit, but, uh, everything else is just a blur. Uh, I mean, I, I remember the next day on the 12th, I remember going down to the bodega and picking up a copy of the daily news and the New York post back when those newspapers were actually, uh, cheap. And, uh, and I remember doing that for like a whole week. I, I would, I would, I would head out and I would grab a post in the, in the daily news. And, uh, I wish I'd kept them all these years, but, uh, I don't know, just to think, you know, if, if my internship or, or my, not internship, but if my temp job uh, didn't end that week, I would have been down there uh, right around the time when the first plane hit. Uh, you know, I'm going to talk about stories of people that... Uh, survived and and talk about people that uh uh had close calls uh you know and, and also i'll be playing music throughout the hour just like for example uh bright sunny morning was the name of the song i played by bert janch uh fantastic songwriter and uh we're going to have more music coming up. I've got one from Stephen Curtis Chapman coming up in just a moment after we take this break. Uh, we're just going to reflect. We're going to honor those who lost their lives. And uh, we're going to do what we got to do. You know? So, Stephen Curtis Chapman coming up after this break when the good with Kevin Thomas returns. Remember the day the first signs of trouble the dust and the rubble unspeakable loss Remember the day the courage, the valor that ran to the towers at such a great cost And remember the day and how we were shaken and our hearts awakened to what matters most and Remember how we've been changed Remember the day as 
we carry on. that we're waving our president saying what we needed to hear and remember the day the flood of compassion that washed through our nation as the smoke slowly cleared and remember the day that brought us together and showed us the power that we have when we want and remember the day remember how we've been changed and remember the day as we Comfort and healing For wisdom and leading Till the journey is done And remember the day How we've been shaken And our hearts awakened To what matters most And remember the day Remember how we've been shaken Stephen Curtis Chapman with Remember the Day here. You're listening to The Good with Kevin Thomas. I am Kevin Thomas. And uh, today is September 11th, 2021. 20 years ago today, uh, our nation was changed forever. Our world was changed forever. And... uh, you know, I, I just, uh, I you know, next week I'll go back to doing the stories that I usually do. Uh, maybe there'll be an interview or something along those lines. But today is a, a, a day for remembrance. I want to talk about David Paventi. Now, David Paventi had arrived in New York City for business meetings on uh, September 10th, 2001. And uh, he said, I remember it was a foggy day and I got to the office 
and immediately walked over to the windows and stepped up on the heat register to look out and couldn't see a thing. He said, a colleague of mine who was a little paranoid immediately said, what are you doing? That gives me the creeps. Then offhandedly, how do airplanes not hit this building? My response at the time was, seriously, who even thinks about such a thing? They had this conversation on September 10th, 2001. So then September 11th, 2001 comes along. And Dave is on the 81st floor of the North Tower in an interior conference room. And uh, 8.46 in the morning that day he felt the building lurch forward and then return back into place now Dave said uh, we had offices in San Francisco so my brain automatically went to earthquake and I started to get under the table now his co-workers uh, some of whom had experienced the World Trade Center bombing in 1993, uh, well, they recognized what was going on right away, and they started to head towards the stairwell. And so Dave called his wife on his cell phone, and he said, uh, I'm fine, I'm leaving the floor now, and we'll call you when I get to the bottom And uh, we still really didn't know what had happened. So Dave makes his way along with his co-workers to, towards the stairs. And somebody was yelling in the background that an airplane had hit the building. Now Dave said the assumption was that maybe it was a small plane. At the time, we had no frame of reference for a passenger jet crashing into the building. There was not a lot of traffic on the stairs, which should tell you something about what was happening higher up. I got to about floor 75 and stopped to wait for my longtime colleague, Bob, who, who was making sure our floor had cleared out. Now, uh, if you... If you remember any of the images from that day, you'll remember uh, seeing the pictures of people on the stairwells and in the stairs being rather narrow, uh, uh, narrow enough that it, you, you might be able to get two people uh, going down at the same time. Uh, now, he said at the 65th floor, the traffic slowed to a near stop. He said we couldn't see anything. It was eerily silent. You expect in New York for it to be loud and boisterous, and it was very, very notably quiet. We would go down a few steps, stop, down a few steps, stop, and that went on for about 45 minutes. Now, at the time, obviously, there were no smartphones. Uh, now, 
along with uh, Dave's uh, flip phone, he also had a pager. And uh, usually uh, Dave would have the pager send him uh, stock-related news and uh, short emails. Well, it began to buzz because uh, the announcement that the stock market opening was being delayed, and then he gets word of a second plane and and mentions of terrorist activity. And he said, finally, the pager buzzed and said it was a 767. And he said that uh, rather than cause further panic in the stairwell, he and his co-worker kept these updates to themselves. Well... Dave also began sending emails to his wife, Lynn. And uh, Lynn says, I remember the first one said, we're on the 56th floor. Those emails became my lifeline that day. Now, what's interesting is that when Dave was in Charlotte, uh, where where he's from, uh he was headed to the airport and he almost forgot his pager and he went back and got his pager and uh was able to make his flight uh lynn says without that pager and those emails i don't know how we would have communicated so dave said uh he and bob were navigating the stairwell uh, he said uh, we would stop at each level to feel the doors and see if they were hot. And I would think, would we be better off going to find another stairwell? Is there another way out? Is there a better way out? Uh, when they got to the 30th floor, uh, traffic came to a complete halt. They began to see firefighters making their way up the stairs, carrying their hoses and heading towards the danger. Dave said, I will never forget this one fireman. He stopped and put his hose on the ground and hunched over to catch his breath and made the comment, I get to do all this for 35k a year. And then he picked up the hose and kept going. It was a real gut check. Meanwhile, in Charlotte, Lynn got a call from her mother-in-law a- asking if he was okay. And she she says, uh, I think that was probably the hardest thing I had to do that day. Now being a mom, it's hard to tell a mom that their son is in the building that they are watching on TV that's engulfed in flames. So when Dave and his co-worker made it down to the lower level, uh, he described it as being a, a, a scene out of Die Hard. He said all the windows had blown out 
It smelled of gas. The sprinklers must have been on. It looked like a bomb had gone off. And I remember walking down the escalator and getting out of the building through a shattered window. He continues. Once we were out in the courtyard, a policewoman began screaming at us all to run. Get away from the building and don't look back. That's when we took off. About three blocks down, I saw Bob round a corner and tucked behind a building. He had been on the phone with his wife. I followed him, and just as we did that, an enormous white cloud came rushing down the street. What was remarkable to me in that moment was that neither of us really got dirty. You see all these pictures of people who were there that day covered in dust from head to toe. You can see their eyes, and that's it. We were in the courtyard when the building started to fall, and three blocks away when it came down completely, yet all we had on us was a little dust. In fact, uh, Dave Paventi still has the shirt that he was wearing that day, along with his World Trade Center visitor's badge with the date on it in his photo. So, uh, Dave and Bob had a single, singular goal to get off of the island of Manhattan and onto the mainland. So, they decided to head for the Queensboro Bridge in an attempt to get to Bob's brother's house on Long Island. He said, I knew there were only two ways off Manhattan, a bridge or a tunnel. And I thought at least on a bridge you can jump and have some chance of survival. The inbound lanes of the Queensboro Bridge had been closed to driving traffic, so hundreds of people were walking across the lanes. We started to hear a rumbling noise and looked over our shoulder. We watched the North Tower, the tower we had just been in, melting down into the horizon. That's when we took off running. Now, Lynn had lost contact with her husband, saying, I didn't know which tower he had been in. I didn't know what floor he had been on. My heart just sank. I didn't know where he was. Now, even though Dave was hesitant, Bob insisted that their only option once they crossed the bridge was to hitchhike. And a man in a green Dodge Neon pulled over and asked where they were going. He said, I'm not taking you to Long Island. What's your other option? We told him JFK, thinking we could get a rental car. That's when he told us, I'm only doing this because my wife is in the World Trade Center, so I'm hoping if I help you, someone will help her. So they made their way over to JFK, And uh, he said everybody started bolting for the door. And at that time, the different rental places at JFK were separated by a chain link fence. Bob somehow noticed a hole in the fence and we ran through it. And because of that, we managed to be the second people in line at the next rental car agency. Without that hole, we might not have gotten a car. So they made their way to Long Island And the next day, they drove back to their families in Charlotte. 
He said, you take a look at that whole day and just think of everywhere you made a decision and how with one little change, it could have literally changed everything. What if we had decided to try and find another staircase when we stopped on the stairs? What if we had stopped running and made a wrong turn in the cloud of debris and something had hit or, and killed us? What if we hadn't run over the bridge and met up with the guy in the green Dodge Neon? What if Bob hadn't found that hole in the chain link fence? One different choice and we may not be here. It's hard to sit back and not think there has to be something bigger guiding you through. Now, uh, there's uh, more to the story, and you can catch the story uh, uh, on the uh, Charlotte Observer website. Uh, again, a pretty amazing story. And uh, there are so many stories from that day, and uh, we only have another 15 minutes in the show, but uh, I'll try to share what I can with you. In the meantime... Uh, I've got a song by Mary Chapin Carpenter coming up in just a moment when the good with Kevin Thomas returns. Got my work clothes on full of sweat and dirt All this holy dust upon my face and shirt Uptown now, just as the shifts are changing to Grand Central Station. I got my lunchbox, got my hard hat in my hand. I ain't no hero, Mister, just a working man. And all these voices keep on. Asking me to take them to Grand Central Station. Grand Central Station. I want to stand beneath the clock just one more time. Want to wait upon the platform for the Hudson. Guess you're never really all alone or too far from the pull of home and the stars upon that painted dome still shine. I made my way out on the forty-second street. I lit a cigarette and stared down at And all the ones that ever stood here waiting at Grand Central Station, Grand Central Station. Thank you. 
Jesus staring down at me Next to him's Minerva and Mercury I'm not to them and start my crawl Flyers covering every wall Faces of the missing one I see Tomorrow I'll be back there working on the pile Going in, coming out single file Before my job is done, there's one more trip I'm making To Grand Central Station Central Station Grand Central Station Grand Central Station Mary Chapin Carpenter here on The Good with Kevin Thomas. Uh, Grand Central Station, the name of that song, beautiful song. Uh, you know what, If you know, forgive me, uh, Alex and Carrie, if I go over a couple minutes here, but uh, I want to try to get in a story or two here. Sujo John was, uh, oh wait, uh, hold on just a sec. We have a phone call. You're on with Kevin and the Good. How are you? Hey, Kevin. It's Fanny. How are you? Good, friend. How are you? Okay. Oh, I'm on. Okay. It's a sad day to today. Uh, I can't imagine all the people I was watching it on TV and everything, you know, for their family and everything that they lost their loved ones. Right. You know, and I didn't lose anybody. My sister lost a friend down in... Um, 911 talk about Sujo John he was working in Tower 1 uh, when American Airlines flight 11 uh, crashed into his building now the fact that he escaped uh, injury was pretty amazing and uh, what's also interesting too is that his wife 
who was pregnant at the time, was in Tower 2. So, John started to, uh, you know, he started his day as usual. He was on the 81st floor of Tower 1, and he heard a loud explosion. And uh, it took nearly an hour to descend from the 81st floor. And uh, he, as he was making his uh, descent, a, a second explosion happened. And uh, Sujo had no idea that a second plane had just flown into Tower 2 where his wife Mary was. And uh, what he didn't know was that Mary had arrived at Tower 2 just moments after the second jet crashed into it. She was never allowed in the building, but he didn't know that. So she told uh, CBN, the uh, Christian Broadcasting Network, uh, Mary said, I saw it. I was standing right under the buildings. I felt the heat and the debris falling all around me. So when he made his way down with thousands of others to the lower level of Tower 1. Tower 2 began to collapse. So he ends up uh, he ends up uh, standing up against the wall and huddled with about 20 other people. And uh when the building crashed down, he initially thought he was buried alive as he pulled himself up. Everyone that he had just stood with had died. Miraculously, there was a, re a flashing red light from a crushed ambulance, and uh, Sujo used that to head to safety. He said, I'm thinking for sure my wife is dead. How am I going to find her? Somehow she was able to reach him on his cell phone. And Sujo describes picking up the phone, see, seeing her, her, call, her name on the caller ID and thinking it's not her. Somebody else has gotten a hold of her phone and, and to reach me with the news. Hey, your wife is dead. He said it was an incredible moment to find out that his wife was alive. I want to talk about Janelle Guzman McMillan. She, nearly everyone else who had not left the Twin Towers by 1028 on September 11th had, had perished. She worked for the, Janelle worked for the Port Authority on the 64th floor of the North Tower and could have left earlier, but she waited, fearful and uncertain like so many others. She was still walking down Stairway B when the building collapsed. Uh, 
but she lived. Somehow, Janelle's body or her body tumbled and she found an air pocket under mounds of rubble. She was buried for more than 26 hours. And on September 12th, around 12.30 p.m., she became the last of just four people caught in the debris to be found alive. And the, the people around Janelle were killed. It's not known whether anyone else could have been found alive. Just that Janelle was the last. I want to talk about 16 survivors. A bookkeeper, an office temp, an engineer, a Port Authority cop, and 12 firemen. They survived despite the fact the World Trade Center collapsed on top of them. They were all in stairwell B of the North Tower in the center of the building. Those who survived what others did not were located between floors 22 and 1. The History Channel aired The Miracle of Stairwell B in, in 2006, which showed the growing sense of confusion as the scene grew more chaotic for these survivors. Following the journey up and down endless hot flights of stairs, the race against time to shepherd each other out of the tower, the shocking sound of the floors hitting each other as the buildings fell on top of them and the harrowing wait for help beneath the mountain of rubble. The most incredible is, of course, the ray of sunshine that pierced the despair and showed them the way to safety. Pretty amazing. You know, there, there are stories like that uh, all throughout that day let's not forget Wells Crowther there are so many people that lost their lives that day but Wells he was local he had a job with Sandler O'Neill uh, uh uh, investment banking firm in the World Trade Center. And uh, the thing about Wells was that he had always dreamed of being a firefighter. You know, uh, what was amazing was his family ends up finding out all these stories about how many people he end up saving. Um, let's not let's not forget anybody, but especially Wells. You know, uh, 
know, I was really wondering what I was going to do today and, um, you know, how I was going to honor this uh, day. And uh, I hope I, I did at least a little bit of justice for for it. And I hope that uh, I hope that the families of those who were lost and the families of those who were directly affected. Uh, I, I, I pray that they find comfort in each other. And, uh, I know that their loved ones are looking down on them and, uh, watching out for them. Nearly 3000 guardian angels just watching over their loved ones. It's a tough day. It's a sad day. But you know, this country, for all the problems that we have now with the pandemic and with the divisiveness, we are still standing. We are still here hopefully it doesn't have to come to another tragedy before we come together I think of the firefighters police officers port authority EMTs all those first responders that headed towards the danger and uh, sacrificed, made the ultimate sacrifice to save others. Thousands of lives saved on that day. So let's not forget them either. And uh, I think there's only one way to really truly end this show today. And uh, if you give me a moment... I will leave you with this. Can't see nothing in front of me. Can't see nothing coming up behind. Make my way through this darkness. I can't feel nothing but this chain that grinds me Lost track of how far I've gone Far I've gone, how high I've climbed On my back's a 60 pound stone On the shoulder half mile line Come on up for the rising Come on up with your head tonight Oh, no.
garden In the garden of a thousand sides There's all the pictures of our children Dancing in the sky Filled with light May you feel your arms around me May you feel your blood Mixed with mine The dream of life comes to me Like a catfish dancing on the end of my line The sky and blackness, the sorrow The sky of love, the sky of tears The sky of glory and sadness The sky of mercy, the sky of 